0: Good evening, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, We're going to have the reading in a moment. I'm going to share a little story first before we have um, our reading. I want to ask you if you've ever gone somewhere expecting it to be one way and then for experience to be totally different, either in a good or a bad way. So you go somewhere expecting it to be one thing and it turns out different. The example that came to my mind immediately when I was thinking about a way in was an event that happened to our family probably over 10 years ago now or about 10 years ago now. It was very disorientating. We went down for a day trip to, to Portsmouth. Went down a uh, part near the HMS Victory, where that is. We didn't go and see it. Um, the weather wasn't great. It wasn't too bad in the morning. It was it was ever so slight rain, and we went for a nice walk along the docks, but it was very, very windy, and we thought after that with small kids, we'll go and have a nice lunch, and then we'll decide what to do in the afternoon. We're in a nice Keys area, there are nice loads of shops around, we thought maybe we'll do that. But it just, um, we had lunch and then it was just, the weather was awful in the afternoon, it really did, Uh, the rain came down and it got colder and we thought, I know there's a cinema here, let's go to the cinema. And this was the time when the first Paddington movie had just come out, I thought, great family movie, that is going to be awesome. We managed to squeeze in, seats right in the front row, so not amazing, but extra leg room for me, which was very exciting. And I wanted to see it, everybody wanted to see it. First time, I think, we—more well, one of the first times we'd gone to the, to the movie with our children. Went through the trailers, no problem. Then the movie started. And that, I kid you not, is when the trauma started. I don't know if anybody's seen here Paddington, but it starts off with poor Paddington having to leave Peru and his family behind. Q streams of tears from my young children. And I do mean streams of tears about Paul Paddington. That was the opening scene. We then had, the, then had the credits and we just about got them calmed down for the movie to start proper, with Paddington arriving at Paddington Station. Cue loads more tears as Paddington was ignored and was just being um, rude to by all the people passing him. Eventually, the family was nice, but the dad was rude and that was just... E- it continued throughout the entire movie. There is that very scary lady that wants to murder Paddington and taxidermy him. That is probably worth crying at. But there was one point through it where I thought, shall we go home? And I was like, no, no, we've paid for this. We are going to see it through. And it was a kid's movie, so I thought it's going to be all right in the end. I'm pretty sure it's got a happy ending. I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but it does. So I've ruined it. <laughs> But anyway, if you haven't seen it, it's been out a long time now, so you're probably not that interested to watch it. But it it was safe to say that that watching that movie was not the uh, exciting, happy, brilliant experience I thought it was going to. But what it did do was it really opened my eyes to the incredible empathy my children had to this little fluffy, cuddly bear. And it challenged me as well. Ad is going to come back up and uh, read our Bible reading today. And before we go into it, I want to ask you a couple of questions before we hear it. It's a, it's a brilliant story, but what are you expecting from, to hear from God when you come to God's word? When you let his true story, you know, unfold itself in front of you? If you're expecting a nice welcome from God, will you let his words challenge you and be different from what you're expecting? And perhaps the opposite, if you're not confident or expectant that God is going to welcome you and listen to you, will you be open to the fact that he might invite you in and want to speak some real words of hope and encouragement to you? Let's have our reading from Luke.
1: Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denaries and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly. Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
0: So Father, as we look at this passage tonight, May we both expect to hear your call. May we know we are welcomed by you. And may our hearts be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's three kind of things I want to draw out for this passage. It's a wonderful passage, and I could have done more, but um, I've stuck to three because that's what I normally stick to. Um, And the first thing I want us to say from this or point or draw out from this, is that Jesus is open to meeting with you. Time and again, we see it in Scripture that Jesus stops and eats with people, all kinds of people. He goes to, to sinners' houses. He goes to, even goes to tax collectors' houses. We're told people who were looked down on in society... And in in general, that most people wouldn't have anything to do with. Jesus was happy to associate with them and go and sit and eat with them. But here Jesus is actually doing the opposite of that. He is stopping and going, eating a meal in the house of a Pharisee. This is not somebody who would have been seen as a particular sinner in the eyes of the society. It's someone who were thought to be holy and righteous by many people to guide people in the way of God. This uh, were the very group also who had already been attacking and questioning and dismissing Jesus teaching. Can we just go back to the the the, the first slide please where it was on there. Don't worry about that one yet who'd be vehemently attacked, rejected, and opposed Jesus and his words. Jesus already had a go at the Pharisees as well on a number of occasions. He's called them out as hypocrites and people that are far from good and far from God. Yet here he is eating with one of them. Eating a meal back then was a sign of friendship, And a sign of sort of some sort of association, a closeness with them. And here we have Jesus at this person's house. Why is he there? Because he was invited. And he's not just there on a whim. He's sitting there having what I would call a heads-in conversation. Now we can go to the next slide. When uh, we think of like having dinner with somebody, sometimes we think of like sitting uh, down around a table with some chairs around it. Back in Israel, what they used to have is when they would ha- uh, guests would have meal around, and, and Simon probably had something similar to this. You'd have a raised table that was slightly off the ground, and you'd have cushions or slightly uh, raised thing around them, and guests would lie down, leaning resting their head on their left hand because your left hand was your dirty hand and you had a clean hand, your right hand. They'd all lie down like that with their feet away from the table, all on their left-hand side and they'd pick the food with their right hand. So you're having sort of heads in conversation with everybody leaning in and anybody that's not at the table is totally excluded. Can you see that? They're around, they can't get close to the heads and have conversations with people in there. And so Jesus is there having a meal with somebody who's been called out. And we know he goes and has meals with everybody. There's this wonderful verse that I love in Scripture. It's quite a popular verse. It's from Revelation 3, and it simply says this. Let's have the Revelation reading up. Jesus is speaking when he says this. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I hope everyone here knows that Jesus is willing and ready to come in and meet with you, to have a heads-in meeting with you to hear, to know. He wants to know and you have to tell him what is going on in your life. He wants you to be open with him. And he also wants you to listen to him, to his words. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, how good you think you are or not. If you invite him, Jesus Will come in. That's what that verse says. It doesn't say might, it doesn't say may, or he will do if he can be bothered. It says, Jesus says, I will come in if you invite me. Ada said at the start, we're going through this uh, series in Luke, and we're doing this with the book, The Story. There's loads of copies of those still at the back. Just invite you and encourage you if you don't do it regularly spend time with God praying, but also reading or listening to his word, to scripture, to have a conversation with God. To hear what he has to say on certain things, to listen to him. And as you do that, as you invite Jesus in, and as you open him up, incredible things can happen. My second point is this, when you open up, God will lift you up. When you open up yourselves and invite him in, God will lift you up. I want to switch focus to the woman now. We don't know her name, which is very sad. I wish we knew her name, but we don't. And we don't 100% for definite know her profession. Although, we're pretty certain that this woman was a prostitute. Because that phrase woman who was a sinner, that Simon is said is quite often used to talk about those women who did that for a living. She is certainly, however, somebody that is looked down on and rejected and on the margins of society. Not only that, but she is seen as deeply unclean by Simon, a Pharisee, that she's probably been told and maybe even believed herself that she is somebody not just rejected by society, but somebody that is also far from God and going to be rejected by him because of what she was doing, her life that she was living, and of who she was. Maybe this is something that she had probably believed about herself in her life. Yet here she is, we see in this reading, you can picture it at Simon's house there. Some of you might be asking the question, well, why the heck is she there, if Simon <laughs> thinks that of her? Well, it, when you know what used to happen at uh, back then at dinner parties, it's not actually that odd, you see, because back then, you probably know this, they didn't have TVs. So, for entertainment, in the evenings, if somebody was having a dinner party, it was acceptable to look in through the windows because they didn't have glass in their windows back then. You could just look in or even to go into other people's homes when they were having dinner parties and see what was going on. You wouldn't eat the food that was on offer, but it was kind of just allowed and expected, especially if there was some sort of big party or celebrity thing going on. And Jesus was probably quite a big deal going on there. They could gather around and look at a distance from the table because obviously they were all heads in and the feet were out. So, she's there because it's allowed. But also, she's there, we're told, because she heard Jesus was there. And it's actually, when you look at what was happening and what happens when she approached Jesus, it's quite likely that she'd already heard something of Jesus' teaching beforehand. Maybe his sermon on the mount Or some of his other words about giving freedom for captives or hope to those in darkness, forgiveness for those who are stuck in sin. And she is so moved by meeting with Jesus. You can just imagine her coming up and not being able to get close, but only close to his feet and her just weeping perhaps with hope. Somebody that's given her hope that she maybe be able to reconnect with God, that her life isn't fully hopeless, as perhaps people are telling her that she's not totally rejected, as she would have been by most people. She's moved by what she heard, and she wants to get close to Jesus. And so she walks into this Pharisee's house, somebody that looks down on her and rejects her, surrounded by other people that are have shunned her. But it doesn't, she doesn't let it put her off. She gets to his feet. She cries tears. She drips them, probably notices them, landing on Jesus' feet. And she re- thinks, um, probably thinks, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? So she lets down her hair to dry them off. That is a disgraceful thing for a woman, Jewish woman to do as well. They would never let down their hair in public but she's so enraptured in being close to this person that is perhaps offering her hope. She lets down her hair. She's calm with perfume. To pour, to anoint, it was a good gift to give somebody because they didn't have very many showers back then either as well. Nice smelling things were good things to pour on people. She wipes the feet dry and anoints his disgusting. Dirty feet with oil. Let me tell you something. Jesus loved that kind of worship. And he loves and accepts worship that is fully, from our heart, this sort of holding nothing back attitude moves Jesus. This fallen woman who's shunned and rejected who's looked down on by other, has done the right thing. She has come to Jesus and she has fallen at his feet. And he lifts her up and restores her. So here's a question for you to think about. Is your worship of Jesus like the worship of that woman? Are you open enough To let God speak healing to you about what is really going on in your life. Even the painful, hidden away bits that perhaps you're not that proud about. Because listen to this, the Bible doesn't say that the people there, or Simon indeed, Jesus doesn't correct him, was wrong to think that that woman was a sinner for what she was doing. In fact, the opposite. But what Jesus does say they were wrong to do was to think that God didn't care and couldn't help her in her situation. This woman is at Jesus' feet. This woman comes to him and worships him and Jesus gets up, turns around and lifts the woman up and she receives forgiveness because she's acknowledged that she's broken at the feet of Jesus you need to hear the encouragement in that story when you're fallen and when you know you're broken you need to fall at Jesus feet and he will lift you up and we need to not worry about what other people think about us as we do that Full without embarrassment, full without care. Worship Jesus, not worrying about what people next to you might be thinking or feeling either out in the world or in here. If you want to raise your hands to praise Jesus, raise your hands. If you want to cry and get on your knees, cry. If you want to pray with somebody, pray with somebody. If you want to tell somebody out in the world that you don't want to do that because you know it's not worshipful and right for God, tell them. God will not reject you when you do that, but instead will empower you and encourage you and fill you with hope. That act of honesty and devotion of the woman leads to Jesus to just turn to her and give her his full attention. Her status as a forgiven sinner is confirmed. Her faith in coming to Jesus has restored her and Jesus says she can go in peace peace in the heart after everything that she's done she's been forgiven and can go in peace and it can be the same for each of us when we come openly and honestly to God because he loves it when we do so Jesus is open to meeting to you and when you fall at his feet he will lift you up the final point is and this is where I'm going to switch back Simon the Pharisee. But if you pretend, God will offend. If you pretend God will offend. Let me explain what I mean by this. By the word offend, I really mean challenge, but it didn't rhyme quite so well with pretend. I sometimes get a bit grumpy as an old man um, when uh, I hear the people say, Oh, that offends me. I want to say, well get over it in one level but also what they really mean is um, is I don't agree with what that person is saying and I want to say rather than be offended perhaps you might want to think about why they disagree with what you're saying, find out a little bit more about their point of view rather than just be offended and, and shut down anyway that's a totally different sermon let's get back to um, the point I want to read, by, by doing that. I should want to read another verse. I'm going to go jump to Hebrews 4:12. Let's have that up on the screen. This is what it says about the Word of God. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What does this tell us about God's word? It tells us that God wants to get really to the heart of the matter. And he will use his words to get there. And if our hearts are closed and hard, like a skilled surgeon, Jesus with his words will want to get to the heart of the matter to cut away what is keeping it hard and callous. Just like that surgeon trying to get to the root cause of whatever it is that is wrong. And in the moment, that can be hurtful and painful and maybe even take some recovery from. But like a surgeon, God wants to do it to heal and to restore people, to make them healthy, God brings challenge, not because he's mean, but because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. Another verse from Hebrews. This one's much shorter. It simply says, God disciplines those he loves. Studies and research are shown that children that grow up with boundaries given to them by loving parents not only grow up better behaved but they also grow up happier and they have physically better lives they're healthier as well and they're more stable relationally if you set good appropriate boundaries for your children and you help them stay within those boundaries and discipline them reasonably well when they step outside of them. It is of great benefit to them. And it is the same for us in our relationship with God. God is wise beyond any parent. He's wiser beyond anyone on this earth. And if we allow his words to speak truth, to set the boundaries in our lives, it is good for us even if it is painful in the moment. So Simon is with Jesus. He's having this meal with Jesus, but he's missing the point. Simon has obviously been curious about Jesus. He's invited them around, but he's looking at what, who Jesus is allowing to get close to him, and he's thinking that person is dirty and disgusting, and so Jesus can't be all that if he's going to let that and he's rejecting Jesus just because he's associating and welcoming people that are different to him. He just thinks it's wrong. And we see Simon is just the exact opposite, almost, of this woman whose name we don't know. Simon is more concerned about appearance and how things look than he is about anything else. And he's so concerned about how things look. He doesn't even realize I have a clear picture of who he is himself. He thinks he's so much better than the woman. And then Jesus points out, you invited me to your home. You didn't give me any water for my feet. Feet were disgusting back in Israel. If you invited somebody into your home for a meal, the done thing to do was to give them water to wash their dirty feet with But he hadn't done that. But the woman had washed and dried Jesus' feet with her own tears and her own hair. There was no kiss of welcome for Jesus. That was another done thing, a kiss on the cheek when you welcome people in. Simon hadn't done that. The woman had. The woman had kissed him on his feet. Simon hadn't anointed Jesus' head with oil. You would anoint, guess, oil with head as well. A head with oil. He hadn't done that. But the woman had anointed his feet. In other words, Jesus was saying, look, you think you're so much better, but this woman has done much more than you were supposed to do to me. You didn't notice because you're more concerned about others than you are about yourself and your relationship with me and with what is right. And I think it's a temptation, if we're honest, we all fall into, we all do that a lot. Be worried about what other people think and we forget what we should be doing. So as I wrap up, I wanna ask that question again that I asked before we had our reading. What is God saying to you? What are you expecting to hear from you? Where are you with God? Do you need to invite him in? Because he will come in and eat with you and drink with you and talk with you and listen to you. And as he does that, what is he saying to you? Is he welcoming you? Is he saying, fear not. I welcome you, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are. Or is he challenging you, cutting in perhaps a little bit so that your heart may be a little bit softer to those around you? I hope as we all go home tonight, We have those final words of Jesus ringing in our ear. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace.